Welcome to Wear With Sepet. Each week, I chat to amazing graduates from a range of backgrounds to help young professionals like yourselves take the guesswork out of making those all-important decisions at the beginning of your careers. To keep up to date with our episodes, you can follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. And to find my episode reflections and find more resources, you can also check out our website at wherewithsep.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have with us Mark, who's a private equity analyst at Brookfield Asset Management, which is one of the world's largest asset managers with over a trillion Australian dollars of assets under management. And he also brings in some experience from uh, investment banking at the Bank of America, which I'm really keen to talk about as well. So Mark, thanks so much for coming on. We're super lucky to have you. And I guess I might pass it over to you to give a quick intro on your context and some background on how you got to where you are. Thanks, Seth. So as you mentioned, I'm currently an analyst at Brookfield um, in the Sydney office in the private equity team. Uh, prior to that, I spent about 18 months or so uh, in the investment banking team based out of Melbourne. Uh, at uni, I studied commerce and law at, at Monash. Yeah, awesome. Um, and I think that's like a, you know, uh, there, there are definitely quite a lot of people with that with that kind of background, especially who started out investment banking. And there are a lot of people who are very curious about like, why that's a good fit. You know, um, it's not obviously directly related to finance, but can you just give some more context on uh, why Com Law um, originally? And then um, was there a point at which you perhaps realized that maybe law was less fitting for you that, or maybe even some of the other commerce parts were less fitting as well? Yeah, to be honest, I only did Com Law because uh, my older brother also did common law and you know, he said it was yeah. a good degree to, to have and I just kind of followed in his footpath. I think initially coming mm-hmm. into uni, I always knew I wanted to be more in the finance side rather than kind of the law uh, pathway. And you know, after my first semester, that kind of confirmed my view of <laughs> which the direction I wanted to go into. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you said that you kind of knew that you always had a little bit of a liking for finance. How'd you know that before you kind of went to uni? Look, I can't pinpoint the exact time that you know, I was yeah. interested in finance. I, I kind of knew in year 11 or year 12, you know, whilst you're preparing for kind of the uni uh, degree, mm-hmm. kind of figuring out what you wanted to do. And you know, I wasn't really good at you know, maths or science or health. Mm-hmm. So kind of that you know, traditional doctor engineering pathway was kind of um, out of my mind and the next best thing was kind of the yeah. commerce uh, and that's kind of yeah. how I just fell into it right right and can you can you, you tell me a little bit more about this because I'm sure a lot of people will be relaxed a little bit can you just confirm the myth of us is there a lot of math in kind of finance and investment banking like obviously you deal with numbers quite heavily but mm. um, and I'm, I'm also guessing that you're probably not the worst at math either but <laughs> um, you know is it very related um, do you think I think there's a base level of understanding of math, kind of algebra and multiplication and kind of the basics, nothing you know, more difficult than that, I would say. It's just kind of applying it in, in a practical sense. Uh, that's where the challenge is. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think that, that, that generally speaking is something which especially a lot of students have a pretty big misunderstanding about, but yeah, it's, it's good that that's kind of quelled. Um, so can you tell me about during uni? Um, you know, you said you obviously kind of knew that you were interested in commerce, but I'd imagine that you didn't come out of year 12 knowing that you want to become an investment banker. And so can you just tell me 
amongst all the options at uni, what did you like do during uni? You know, who did you speak to? What kind of process did it take you to figure out that um, I like, for example, this path, and maybe that's finance, maybe that's specifically IB, um, over a, a lot of the other great career options that exist um, to, you know, talented graduates? So I would say I was pretty lucky because when I started in my first year of university, uh, I had my old, older brother who was kind of going through the process of investment banking internships. So that's when I yep. first learned about it and spoke to him. He explained to me what it was and that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, and mm-hmm. also at the, in my first year, the FMAA, um, which is you know finance student association across kind of Melbourne, um, Sydney, Brisbane, they had a mentoring program where they paired up mm-hmm. older students with kind of first year students. And I was mm. paired up with uh, another guy who was in, you know, doing com law at the back end of his degree. And he was also starting his investment banking career. So that was where I kind mm. of learned a bit about the space, did my own research, um, attended all the FNAA kind of networking events where you got to speak to various professionals mm. across the different um, you know, sectors of finance. And I felt that the skills that I wanted to develop was you know more suited to investment banking. And that's the, pathway I decided to take. Right, right. Okay. And so it's it's really cool to hear you speak about how you kind of built up uh, more and more knowledge about the industry. And I'm sure that that kind of exponentially grew when you actually worked uh, at, at Bank of America as an intern. Um, my question to you is a bit of a weird one, but um, there are also a lot of people who they start as their first year and as first years, we don't know anything and they really get absorbed into just like one career path where they're just learning about, for example, and it's not just IB, it could be a bunch of careers where they're just hearing and learning about one career path and they end up kind of having tunnel vision and not really knowing what else is out there for them. Um, so on, on the one hand, we've talked about with you, how did you find out you were interested in investment banking? How did you know you like it? But what would your tip be to people to figuring out perhaps something where they don't like it? And how, how do you, how would you be honest with yourself about, you know what, like this is an incredibly attractive career and it might be prestigious. It might have all the perks that come along with it, but actually it's not for me. And I need to be honest with myself about that. How would you go about doing that honestly? Look, I think that's a tough question because, you know, I was kind of that person and, having that tunnel vision straight mm. from the start. And luckily enough, I enjoyed uh, the internship when I did it, but I would say, you know, there's so many options out there nowadays, like you just have to give it a go and, and really try mm. out for yourself because what you read online and you know, what it is in real life can be two separate things. So just give it a go and mm. then uh, kind of evaluate on a you know, case by case basis. But you know, that's a, a really individual task that I, I can't really you know, give a, you know, a tip for. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess when you say like, you know, what you see online and what it is in real life is different. By and large is because also a lot of the time when you are reading or hearing about this from people, it's like the type of person who's giving you advice. Like if someone is like a recruiter, like obviously they're going to be giving you like biased advice or something like that. But you should really, like you said, right, take into account on a personal basis and say, well, you know, there are a lot of people out there who can give me unbiased information that can help. Um, Yeah, exactly. I'll say just, you know, talk to various people. Um, talk to all your mates, mm. see if their friends worked in the industry in that in that space, and then you can get more a more holistic view of if that's something you want to do instead of just kind of reading online yeah. because it can be yeah two two separate things. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. Um, and then when you talked about so 
applying for IBs, I'm sure. You know, this is not something which anyone's, um, or sorry, there are many, many people who are going through this probably at the moment. Um, can you just tell me what that process was like? Even just at a high level, what did it feel like applying for what I imagine is quite a lot of IBs? Probably despite, you know, you being uh, as great as you are, you probably got rejected a few times or many times. Um, what was that process like? Definitely a lot of rejections. Uh, I would say, yeah. yeah, at a higher level, all the banks kind of recruit, you know, over, kind of, I think, April or so for the summer internships. And they all mm. kind of open their applications uh, kind of early in the year. And then they start mm. interviewing on a specific day, like all at the same time. Um, and usually the first round yeah. is you know, usually some sort of uh, assessment online where it's a you know, behavioral maths test. And then you kind of get moved to the next stage where it's typically with you know, a junior banker and they'll go through some technical questions with you. Uh, the next step mm. might be meeting with some of the senior team and going through maybe a case study mm. and then a, a social evening just to see you know, how, if you fit culturally within, within the team. And this is a typically a very yep. fast process. So it kind of wraps up, up you know, within a week. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, and can you just tell me about like, before we actually delve into that process, because I do want to talk about it in a little bit more detail. I think a lot of people, you know, you, you talked briefly about, you know, there was a lot of rejections, right? And, you know, looking back on that, it, it, it's, uh, you know, it can be easy to trivialize that. And it can be easy to tell people, you know what, you're going to be fine. You know, um, you know, I've been in your shoes and everything like that. But can you tell me like concretely, there, there are a lot of people out there who they genuinely... Um, because it's hard. There, there are very few other circumstances in life where you'll get rejected like 50 times and you still need to kind of keep your head up high and pretend like nothing happened. Is there any concrete advice you actually have to helping these people say, you know what, keep your head up high. Like, there's no point in kind of um, being completely abysmal about um, getting rejected so many times because, you know, I'm sure like we've both been through that process and, um, you know, it's not easy. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that, yeah, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, like I've mm. gone for roles where I've thought, you know, this is my dream firm. This is my dream opportunity. This is my mm. only shot to get in. And you put a, you know, put a lot of stress on yourself. Um, and then when you don't get it, yeah. it's like, you, you know, you feel quite disappointed. Uh, but then when I look yeah. back in hindsight, I would say some of the rejections that I received were kind of a blessing in disguise. Like there was something, you know, after that, that, you know, was a better fit for me. You know, there was a better firm an opportunity mm -hmm. that suited uh you know what i wanted and everything just happened to work out in the end and you know i truly believe that you know third you know whatever happens you know happens for a good reason so just kind of keep your head up and keep pushing on because you know there'll be other opportunities down the line yeah yeah definitely I, I think one of the things which you kind of glossed over which um is that like when people get rejected i think a lot of the time it's very easy to take it personally and looking outside, I think it's very helpful for like, even us, if like we were to provide advice to a candidate, like it, like it's really easy to see that actually the firm like literally just rejected you because there was a candidate who was a better fit for the job. And that is not personal at all. That's a, that is them evaluating you on a completely objective basis most of the time. And it means that you just need to do more work, for example, to, to prepare for the next one. And um, that's something which, I wished more people would see, I guess, because it's a, it's something we can actually work towards. Um, I guess to, going back to talk about that application process, can you tell me what did you do to prepare? Um, so 
you know, it sounds like a really stressful week, but I'm sure a lot of preparation goes into it. Um, kind of, what was your preparation process like? And can you even tell me perhaps what you see the most common mistakes being in that preparation process? I would say the, what I did was I prepared early. Uh, I had the benefit of, yeah. kind of knowing that I wanted to go into banking quite early on. So mm. I was chipping away at developing the skills and the CV and the experience in order to be, you know, have a better su- you know, rate of success during interviews. So mm. I would start uh, preparing kind of a couple of years or you know, even a year before the actual application yep. um, process kicked off that you know could involve just reading up on the news, keeping up to date with the market, um, networking, mm. speaking to people from various firms, understanding uh, which firms you might be interested in working at uh, and they're kind of preparing all the technical questions and getting the reps in, uh, in that way, doing mm. case competitions, building that skill set. And I would say it was developed over the course of my degree rather than kind of, jam, kind of jam everything in the last minute preparing for interviews. So I, I kind of took mm. that longer approach. So I would recommend if anyone is you know, keen in applying for these banks just to repair as early as possible and try to speak to as many people as possible. Mm, mm. That's a fantastic point around preparing early because I think a lot of people take that to mean it's just like opening up like an IB prep book. But I think also like what a lot of the time employees are looking for is the fact that, you know, you did not just start preparing two weeks before you applied for the role. Like if you show that you've had genuine passion and that you've started looking a couple of years before you applied for the role, it's a genuine passion, which I think that the employees will recognize and reward. Um, I, I, you mentioned briefly about networking, um, and this is something which I'm pretty keen to hear your thoughts about because finance is kind of something where you know they, they do want to see that you're able to network well and that you're able to jet, d- develop meaningful relationships with people within the firm. Um, can you just tell me about like what has your experience been with kind of how students network? And I think my personal feeling is that like a lot of students, the way that they do it is um, often a little bit transactional and a little bit you know, misguided. Can you just tell me about like what your experience has been like networking with people and what the biggest mistakes have been? I would say being prepared before going to these networking events, understanding, you know, which firms are there, what they actually do so that you can ask intelligent questions. I, I knew that when I was mm. going to these events, I would have you know, a couple uh, questions that I had in mind that I wanted, you know, to get a, a good response on. So I prepared, I read the news in terms of mm. what you know, uh, transactions were happening in the market. So I could discuss that with, you know, the relevant banks. And when you can mm. you know, ask thoughtful, meaningful questions, you can build a better relationship with the people you're talking to. Uh, I would say also yeah. be a bit more relaxed and you know not too stressed. I know it can be a bit daunting uh, speaking to your professionals yeah. in the industry where everyone's in suits, everyone looks you know, very formal, but I'd say um, just kind of be yourself, be a bit more relaxed. Uh, and that will kind of help make mm. the conversation flow a bit better. And then if you see mm. that you had a good conversation with someone at the event, you can follow them up, you know, after the event. And I've done that plenty of times where, mm. you know, go along well, someone had a good conversation about, you know, the industry, about the work, but then also on a personal setting as well, like you know, a bit about their hobbies and mm. what they like to do. Yeah, yeah. 
Definitely. And I think around like the first bit, which you spoke about, especially like people like people who are interested in them. Like if you just go there and just ask the same question that you've asked to another 15 people to them, like it, it, like it makes you sound uninterested in them. And if you ask yeah. a question, which is specifically about the work that they're doing, of course, they're going to, you know, enjoy chatting about that. So yeah, really, really um, great anecdotes there. Um, I guess the I'll cap this section off with a, another question, which is just now that you kind of have some experience of finance, you're able to look back um, on, especially the later years of your uni career. Can you talk about just why you didn't select, uh, like perhaps with re reference to the specifics of these industries, why you liked like IB, for example, more than some of the other finance industries out there on offer? Um, yeah. I'd say the, the type of work and the skills required was more suited to my personality and, and what I wanted to achieve. Like banking gave me a good, um, you know, core set of financial skills, uh, in terms of technical skills, mm. commercial skills. I liked the, you know, transactional nature of the job, assisting companies uh, do M and A, uh, raise capital. That was more interesting to me than let's say sales and trading or equity research, uh, because, you know, I thought that mm. you could be working directly with companies to help drive uh, transactions and, and capital raising. And then secondly, mm. it was the best pathway to move into private equity. Like it was, it's a pretty standard pathway mm. to do a couple of years in banking and then move to private equity. So that was always at the back of my mind and, uh, having that optionality, uh, was quite useful. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, yeah, that'll, that'll help kids who are considering going to banking or perhaps not considering going into banking as well, um, figure out like if it's, um, you know, indicator of something they might want to do. Um, let's move on to the second section I want to talk about, which is then working in um, IB and then perhaps let's talk about PE after that as well. Um, so the first question I want to ask you was just starting work. And you can consider this as kind of when you started interning, which I imagine was a tough transition, but also starting full-time work. Can you just tell me what was that like? You know, obviously um, finance is, has a bit of a reputation for being very high intensity and also perhaps the learning curve in those few months when you did actually start at B of A. Uh, what was that like? I would say the transition from going to uni to doing a full-time internship and then going you know, to full-time employment, I didn't find too challenging given the expectations that I had going to the role. Like I understood that there will mm. be high, you know, long hours, you know, you will be like working late and on weekends, it will be high paced, you know, it'll be you know, quite stressful environment. So I already knew that going mm. into the role. So when all these, uh, you know, when those environments pre presented themselves, I wasn't too mm. you know, set back because I already expected it coming. So the transition wasn't mm. uh, challenging and then kind of moving to full-time. My first year of work was COVID. So I was, we were stuck at home uh, in Melbourne and you really couldn't do anything besides work. So uh, that was yeah, a yeah. Different, different time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess... 
you have a very uh i cannot imagine ever being like that kind of stoic about um doing that much work because I, I get i guess i take your point that you know you had a good understanding and and I, that's perhaps a tip to students as well that you know set your expectations well like don't go into a career if you don't really know like you know what's involved um but i'd like to ask so you know you seem to have handled um those expectations of being able to work not only like long hours but also really stressful work where you know you are contributing directly to you know key inputs on you know, uh, deals of billions of dollars um and so can you just tell me like what has been a method or what has been your your key to managing that much stress and that much intensity uh, across a really like long period of time to be honest i'll say i was i was always uh prepared and always had like a mm. to-do list and you know try to resolve one issue at a time first and kind of tick things off the list because mm. I'm, I'm quite a methodical person i think having that to-do list and writing everything down writing all the things you need to do uh, really helped me you know, keep track of what I was doing and got rid of all the, the stress mm. from my head because I knew these, I can clearly see what the things I need to do. Uh, I actually, mm. you know, don't have a concrete tip for that. I just kind of executed and as things come in, just, just, you know, get on with it and mm. try to get it out as, as fast as possible. Uh, I don't know. I think that maybe that's just yeah. my personality and, and way of working. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that um, another thing to mention there is probably like it's just it also is like not for everyone. Like I think that some people will will do that and they'll be like you know they'll be trying to figure out like for years like how do I how do I get better at this how do I get better at this and some people just like do not like are, are not suited for it and that's fine. Like there's there's no shame in kind of admitting that. Um, I think one thing I want to ask around the actual work itself is that um, you know while a lot of the work can like you said be very very high intensity very challenging um people do it for often what i would consider almost like the five or the two percent of the reward where you know you finish up a deal or you know you see something on the front cover of the afr and you'd be like yes like i worked on that how rewarding is that or is that uh, do you really look forward to the reward of kind of finishing up on a massive piece of work and is it is it great to see the impact that you create there yeah, absolutely. Like just seeing the the hard work that you've done you know, be presented in the newspaper is you know, quite rewarding. And I'd say on a case by case mm. basis as well, when you're working, when you do a massive uh, pitch and it's you know well received by your managers and the client, that's also very rewarding. Mm. So yeah, each day it's it's a challenge, and when you complete a task that you know you put a lot of work into, um, it's always yeah you know, great to see and. Uh, very rewarding. Right, right. And perhaps off the back of that, um, you know, you say it's rewarding when, you know, at a macro level, deal finishes, pitch gets received, uh, you know, perhaps a pitch goes successfully even, uh, but then at a micro level, you know, you get great feedback from your peers or your, your managers or whatever. Um, I'd imagine that this makes the role inherently very, very competitive. As in, you know, you you have times where you feel great, you also have times where you probably feel not so great because, for example, a pitch that goes well can also be received really poorly by whoever you're pitching to or, um, you know, you, you might, for example, lose a deal to a competitor or a deal might fall through or whatever. Um, and so – and probably at a peer-to-peer -peer level, you know, you also are working with incredibly intelligent people. Sometimes you are evaluated pretty um, kind of 
objectively against them. Um, what's it like being in such a competitive environment? Because inevitably you can't always be the best and that could be at a firm level, that could be at an individual level. Um, have you kind of found a way to manage that in your head? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Like I, especially in my team, like I didn't feel that competitive pressure uh, at all. It, it felt more mm. like a collaborative culture. Like everyone was working together to complete a task or complete a project. Everyone was willing to help each other out. So it felt more like a team mm. rather than people competing against each other. Uh, mm. What was the second part of your question again, sir? I guess, I guess maybe at like a uh, firm level then, you know, when, when you, for example, a deal force to, um, or, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a pitch and perhaps another firm wins the pitch or something like that. So are, are there yeah. competitive elements in that regard or yeah. Yeah, there is in a sense, uh, but I would say at, at the junior level, it's, it's more about you know, the quality of your work and your quality of output. Like the outcome is, you know, also important, mm -hmm. but you know, some of those things are a bit about out of you know, your control at the junior level. So, you know, the rewarding aspect mm -hmm. is kind of completing the task and you know, it's a bonus if you, know, you win the deal or the deal is successful. But for me, it was always, the, you know, the quality of work and the output that the team produces uh, was what you know, I found rewarding. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so you talked about quality of work. Can you just tell me, like, uh, I'm very curious, like, what, what does that mean? Or like, what are the key inputs you, to that? Do you think, um, like, in, in your experience, the people who have done really, really great in IB, and that, you know, that, that might not have a very clear definition, but um, people who have done pretty well, um, what do you think they've done more of than, for example, people who have fallen behind or uh, struggled to keep up? Well, I'd say that differs depending on, you know, which level of experience you're at. At, at the junior level, I'd say it's you know, about completing tasks you know, timely in you know, a consistent manner, you know, that's accurate. Um, mm. And then kind of as you move up the ranks, it's about being able to control processes and projects, coordinate deals, uh, being able to you know, conduct thoughtful analysis and uh, being able to craft stories. I, I think being able to tell a story, uh, right, right. you know, with certain you know, presentations is, is important. Uh, and then kind of moving up is how well do you interact with, with clients and how you bring in work. Uh, so yeah, the, hmm. the metric of what you define as quality of, of work it, it changes you know, depending on your, your role. Mm -hmm. That's super, super interesting because I hear, at least across multiple professions, where you know, there are people who are able to progress up, especially at those lower levels, really well because they're able to just put their head down and do work and good work. Uh, but I think that, um, like, another way of looking at what you said is that I, it sounds like the work like transitions along a spectrum of becoming, like, less um, work focus and more, for example, people focus. And I think that's not necessarily a yeah. black or white thing. But I think that, you know, for example, if someone really just hates selling, um, then it's really hard for them to progress, you know, all the way up to the top where that's pretty much their role exclusively. Um, cool. I guess uh, another question I have is that you eventually moved from IB to P. 
Um, again, I'm going to ask you, what was the application process that, like now as a experienced hire? Um, and perhaps was it very, very different from when you were applying to um, you know, your grad role originally or your internship? Yeah, I'll say it varies on a case-by-case basis and depending on you know, which firm you're applying to. Uh, moving from mm-hmm. backing to P typically goes to a recruiter. So a recruiter will, you know, mm-hmm. contact you to see if you're interested in an opportunity. From there, you know, you would have a, a first round uh, interview with someone from the team. It's a mix of behavioral, getting to know you, uh, and there may be a bit of you know, technical questions. Uh, then from there, they might progress to the next stage. There might be a model test or a case study uh, where you have to you know, pitch mm-hmm. an idea, you know, walk through the investment thesis, and there might be a Q&A element to that where people from the team ask you questions about the uh, a potential investment. And then from there, it's kind of meeting mm-hmm. the rest of the team um, and kind of making sure that you're a good cultural fit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and when you talk about the application process, was there anything broadly that you felt that you were much, much better at as an experienced hire than say when you were applying as a grad? Was there something perhaps that you were able to see much more clearly after working in the industry for a bit that you weren't able to see or that you know students by and large aren't able to see at a, a uni level? I would say the first thing would be the technical aspect, understanding how the analysis works uh, practical, practically you know, out mm. in a banking setting, applying that to be uh, I think it's a bit difficult at, at the grad level, being able to understand that. And then the second thing is just around the commercial aspects. Uh, so, you know, what are the mm. investment thesis, you know, the risks, uh, you know, pros and cons of a business, you know, being able to do that analysis over and over again, you know, whilst you're in banking, you kind of develop mm. a sort of framework to you know, evaluate certain businesses. And I think that, uh, type of work that you do in banking really translates well into pay. Yeah, yeah. Um, do do you think that you know, you speak to this as as like a, a really great skill set that you're able to accrue over banking? Do you think there's anything that you know if students want that little bit of an edge in their application as a grad? Do you think there's anything they can do to kind of get a taste of what you just said? You know, because uh, like you said, I think that across a variety of grad roles, you know, they are companies are still looking for a little bit of, like you said, commercial acumen or a little bit of um, kind of practical understanding of how um, technicals and, uh, and and things of the like apply in real life, which students don't really get if they're just looking at, for example, what's the formula for a PE or what's the formula for a DCF or something like that. I'd say number one is just like practical experience. It's, it's doing the work, getting the experience. Mm. Uh, and I think the second thing was just, you got to be curious, you know, continue to read uh, the news, you know, read about different companies and listening to podcasts, you know, just trying to get a better understanding of different businesses, uh, different you know, companies, different markets. And then from there, being able to distill mm. all that information to, to come up with your own views. Uh, it's important to you know, come up with you know, original thought and views because that's what you know, a lot of firms are hiring. They're hiring for you know, a person who can do the 
the the technical work, but then also be able to think through and have a view on you know, a business or a certain situation. Mm. Right, right. Um, okay, and do you feel uh, you've mentioned this a couple of times? I'm really curious to hear about this. Um, you know, I think that you would you're still at kind of an analyst level at, at uh, Brookfield. Um, do you feel as though at your junior position or your junior level, you're able to still feed through your p- personal view on you know really key investment decisions, and that's heard? Um, like, and perhaps you know that, that's something which in a lot of industries that's just not able to be done, right? Like the, the seniors are the ones making decisions, but you, you've mentioned it a couple of times now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know for you know my current team, it's it's quite a small team. The investment team is, mm. I think, five or so people. So it's quite lean. And you know, usually when deals come through the system, the juniors will probably be the, the first point of contact and be the first ones reviewing the opportunity. So we'll take a look at the deal first, provide our views, and then discuss it with uh, you know, the manager of the team. So it's quite collaborative. Everyone's mm. views are respected. And given the teams are so small, you really have to pull your weight and have views on uh, you know opportunities and businesses and i do feel like there's you know there's definitely room for uh, you know for your voice to be heard and to give your opinion and everyone has been really receptive uh, of your views you know they don't you know care about you know what your rank is as long as you you have thoughtful views uh, they're very receptive of that yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome that as a grad, uh, not not as a grad, but as a kind of, you know, like an analyst level higher um, that you're able to, you know, be the first point of contact and then they give you that level of trust. So I'd imagine that's also what makes it really, really attractive to a lot of people either as a grad or even leaving, um, you know, a job in say IB or consulting or something like that. Um, I guess maybe you could speak to... Um, can you just tell me what, what the biggest structural differences are between uh, that you've experienced between IB and PE? So, you know, um, is there any fundamental difference between, for example, risk and reward? Um, have you found the work to be completely different, the structure of your work day to be different, things like that? Um, yeah. I would say, yeah, the type of work is similar, but you're looking at it from a different lens. Uh, so I'd say mm. from a banking side of things, you're, you're trying to sell an idea or an opportunity. And from the P side, you're looking at these ideas that are being pitched to you from banks and you're really taking a deeper lens. And when you're reviewing these opportunities and, and thinking it through, thinking about the actual business, you know, what are the risks? You know, what can we actually do to these businesses to, to generate returns? You're looking at, you know, what the market is like, you know, what's the outlook for it. So you're you're looking at opportunities in a lot more detail. Uh, so I'd say a lot of my mm. time now is spent reviewing opportunities and doing our kind of desktop research on these opportunities to figure out, you know, what's the truth uh, in this spec- mm. in this sector or, or in this company. And you're trying to really you know, dive deep in, into the details and really trying to get to you know, mm. the truth of the matter. Uh, so that's, I would say that's the kind of main change from banking to P it's, yeah, it's a lot more detailed focus and, and trying to get to the, to the answer. 
Interesting, interesting. Um, do you think there's a there's more of a focus? You should say detail. Do you think there's more of a focus, for example, on the um, the actual like operation of the business um, and, and kind of what I would say like going beyond the model than you would say in IB? I know that IB, you, you know, you still have to have a very fundamental understanding of you know the qualitative drivers of business and, and like what it does. But do you think there's more of an emphasis of that in PE? Yes, a hundred percent. Like our focus is on. Yeah. What can we actually do with the operations of this business to generate returns? It might be expanding into a new market, rolling out a new product, uh, doing M&A, and you actually have to dive you know, quite deep into how you can actually do these, you know, pull these operational levers. It's not as simple as you know, flicking a switch in the model and then seeing revenue growth by 5%. It's really, okay, can we mm. actually achieve 5%? What do we actually need to do to drive that 5% growth? So it's going to that next level of detail mm. um, and we have an operations team in-house so we you know work directly with with the team to figure out uh, you know are these initiatives we're proposing actually uh, implementable mm. or you know they, they can't so it's a bit more detail in that sense yeah yeah it's, it's great that like it it sounds like a really really interesting mix because i think a lot of people are very quantitative and they enjoy doing that kind of work but you know at the same time they really enjoy kind of getting their hands dirty and understanding what a company does and it sounds like you have a very good mix between those two um now i'd like to change gears a little bit we um i think a lot of people especially australians you know we um are very interested in like industries like high finance because they give us opportunity for example to travel they especially in finance we talk about you know wall street and new york city and um re the really big cities that they want to go travel to now brookfield's a global firm um and you you know uh, i'm not sure exactly what opportunities you have but um because you are attracted to the idea of working kind of overseas, um, what kind of opportunities do you think lie in finance for that? You know, are you able to do that while in the same job? Are you able to do that, um, for example, if you were to switch roles? Um, what are your thoughts on on that? And how's it been moving to Sydney, at least? Yeah, I'd say, you know, banking and PE, the skills are transferable. So it's you know quite easy to move to a different city or to a different country. And particularly if you mm. work for a global firm where there's offices you know, around the world, uh, there's always opportunities to do a secondment or you know, apply for an internal mm. role to move overseas. Um, and at Brookfield, you know, we have offices in London, you know, New York, um, China, and so forth. So there's always opportunities to move to different offices to work on a project overseas, and the firm really encourages it. Uh, so yeah, definitely something I'd want to explore later down the line and yeah, Sydney's been great so far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever said Sydney's been great, to be honest, but I'm glad you're enjoying <laughs> it. Um, but uh, the last question I have in this section is just um, I, I'm curious because, you know, you like you like we talked about before right like you are working on billions like billion dollar size deals or maybe more maybe maybe much much more and no one could deny the impact of that right like you are you are quite literally like changing the way companies work forever and um you know that's that's yeah like i said very noticeable but at the end of the day like especially as a junior a lot of the work you are doing is you know you're on excel you're on powerpoint uh, you know, yet you sometimes you're in client meetings and stuff like that. But do you ever feel like you're disconnected from the impact that you're creating? You know, sometimes you just be like, "Damn, I've been working on this like model which hasn't like uh, hasn't stopped refing for like an hour, 
um, or you know, I forgot to save my work now, I've just lost my last five hours of work. Is there any ever a time where you just, you know, you get frustrated and say like, how, like how does it actually link together with the final result? No, not necessarily. I think I'd say that given our teams are so small uh, and mm. lean that everything you really do has a direct impact. Like you can see mm-hmm. your analysis and your you know, presentations being used by you know, seniors in the team to make a decision. Mm. Um, you can see that direct link. Uh, you can see your work being uh, presented to you know, uh, internal stakeholders. So I'd say that I, compared to banking, I could see a direct link between what I'm doing and the actual outcome uh, of you know, the work. And it seems to be more you know, focused on an outcome rather than in banking where it's, it's more transactional. It's you know, you're pitching ideas, you're trying to sell an opportunity, whereas uh, internally within PE, it's about trying to achieve an outcome. You can see that direct link between your work. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think that's like definitely something most people would not think about. So yeah, definitely some food for thought with regards to like the differences between those two careers. Uh, let's move on, move on to the last uh, section now. So I want to talk about some um, reflections on um, you know, your past and then perhaps some future plans as well. Um, so the first is that, uh, you know, I've, I have a feeling that, you, you know, you have so much going on right now. You know, you know, like you said, this is a very high intensity career. Everything you're doing outside your career, you, you'd, you'd probably want to focus on just relaxing and stuff like that. But do you have any plans to kind of go back to school? And uh, as, with the, as was the case with IB, how do you kind of know when you want to leave? Because this is an incredibly attractive career. And I'd imagine that also, you know, um, yeah, the, the firm, you know, want, they want to keep you on board. You're going to want to stay with your peers. You're going to want to grow with the team. Um, how, how will you kind of make that decision of if you're going to leave and what you're going to do? I think to answer your first question, I'd say there's no immediate plans to go back to study. I've already okay. completed, you know, five years at uni. I think that was enough for me. Um, and then to yeah. answer your second question, when I thought it was the right time to move, uh, first point is these you know, PE opportunities don't come around often. There's no, mm. you know, formal hiring process that happens every year. It's kind of on an ad hoc basis. So you don't really know when the opportunity will really come up. So when it does, you know, you kind of just have to go for it. And then I think for me, it was just the right time to move. I felt like I wanted to develop a new set of skills, be able to think more like an investor. And I felt like my learning curve was starting to plateau, but I wasn't learning as much as I did, you know, in the first year or so of, of banking and kind of putting that all that together was, you know, right opportunity and, you know, opportunity to, to develop a new set of skills, uh, and just kind of went with mm-hmm. that. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think it's a uh, definitely helpful, um, to give some context around that, but, um, yeah, interesting. I can definitely share the sentiment with you. I have no intention to go back to school anytime soon. <laughs> um, so I, I want to ask another question, which I, I kind of think I touched on before. Um, but you, know, you you mentioned that, for example, you know, 
like IB2P is a very typical path. Um, do you think there are any dangers in people following like a very prescriptive path, which others have followed in the past? So for example, you could look at it at your point, but I think most people would even say, um, you know, say a startup founder, like a startup founder, so many startup founders are, you know, from IBP um, consulting, uh, you know, these typically like very uh, elitist careers. Can you just tell me like, in your experience, or uh, I know that you're not kind of that, perhaps that far ahead in your career, but um, do you think there are any dangers of ascribing to a path uh, that someone else is taking without knowing enough about it? I would say yes and no. <laughs> For me, like my trajectory so far has been a quite prescriptive pathway doing your commonwealth mm-hmm. banking at NP. It's, it's a you know, tried and tested pathway. And if that's something you're interested in, it gives you a guide of how to get there. Uh, and mm. it's a good you know, pathway to take if that's something you're interested in. I think the downside is you know, doing something if you don't understand you know, what your end goal is and kind of mm. you're put on a path that might not be suited to you know, what you want out of a career, um, you know, moving to a job that you might not you know, be suited to. So I'd say mm. these, Certain pathways are good in the sense that they provide you a tried and tested path to to get to where you want. But I'd say mm. just make sure that it's you know what you want to do in in the long mm. term. But I'll also add that like there's so many opportunities nowadays that if you're on a certain track, there's always you know ways to you know move into a new sector, move into a new role, you know switch pathways. So I wouldn't yeah. say that you know, you're yeah. locked into to one pathway. Mm, mm. yeah I, I think that's fantastic advice and like as is always the case like, you know never be afraid to admit that you're wrong even if you are in a particular career you've realized that you know damn like i'm just not enjoying it as much as i think i was like it's fine like you don't have to follow um that that, that the path which you know that your idol or, or whoever you're trying to look for followed um you know, they are different to you after all um i guess the one of the last questions i have is a pretty yeah like a, a pretty interesting one which is um you know, banking has this kind of reputation, um, and, and I guess in finance in general has this reputation of where you know it can be a little bit um, in terms of like the type of people in it. It can be like pretty similar, right? And that that's that's been the case traditionally. I think that the industry is making a lot of strides now. Can you just tell me in your experience working in banking and then working in PE, um, what do you think about the strides that the industry is doing to kind of make more diverse recruitment and and kind of not just diversity in across like certain categories which we're going to identify, but also you know diversity of thought, which you know I think is equally important. Yeah, I'd say in banking, there's definitely been a shift to you know, having gender diversity across the floor, but then also having people from different degrees, definitely from STEM. Um, and then, you know, the tr- traditional pathway of doing you know, commerce or com law and then going to banking, it's not necessarily the only way to get into the industry. There's um, mm. you know, different pathways now to get into the industry. You don't have to come from a finance background. So firms are definitely accepting of people who, you know, may have gone from a, from a different field that may have done an engineering or, you know, music or, you know, whatever, as long as you can mm. display uh, you know, a certain level of interest in the sector, uh, you know, there's definitely a way to get into to the industry. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I think it's great that, um, 
yeah, firms are doing that because I think one of the biggest lies that some people tell, I don't know why they do it, to be honest, but I think some, some of the biggest lies that kind of people would tell students is that like, you need to be like a finance student or like that the finance industry is so complicated that, you know, only finance students could do it. And it's like, it's ridiculous because, you know, if you have a, if you have a genuine passion for finance, anyone can do it. Like it's not, it's not something which is out of reach. Like all finance students, all they've learned is packed into three years and you can do the same thing by, by learning that in the industry as well. So it, it's not something which is out of reach is one of the biggest things, which I think we both gathered. Um, the final point I have is um, perhaps a big reflection question. So what is something that you underappreciated before your job um, and perhaps overappreciated as well? That's oh, a tough question. <laughs> Let me give, give me a moment to <laughs> reflect on, on my time. Wow. Yeah. I'd say the thing that I underappreciate is the, the people that you meet along the way, uh, the people that you work with. They can be you know, some of your closest friends. And my old team uh, in Melbourne, they're some of my close friends and I still see them every time I come back to Melbourne um, and, you know, people mm -hmm. will have different pathways as they move on to, to different roles. So, you know, keeping in touch with the people that you work with and, and your friends that um, I think is definitely something you should you know, continue to do. Um, something that I overappreciated. That's a tough one. I, I think I can think of something at the top of my head. Um, maybe I have to get back to to you on another time. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we could do that. We'll uh, we'll do us another episode in a few years. See what you overappreciated. Maybe you didn't overappreciate anything. Um, but yeah, that was um, really really awesome chat, uh, Mark. I really, I really appreciate it. I think you have. Uh, thankfully very honest about a lot of the things that I asked about so it was really transparent about you know things which students are very very curious about and um, you know I think that students can follow up on this by like you said um, kind of going and speaking to people in the industry and finding out more about what you said if they're interested sorry if they're interested but yeah I really appreciate the chat today it was um, super helpful oh good no worries thanks for having me on and that puts an end to our episode Thanks so much for listening. A reminder to subscribe to our socials and share this podcast around if you found it helpful so we can help transform the graduate job hunt of as many students as possible. In the meantime, I'm sure you'll find it helpful to browse through our resources available on wherewithsep.com. I'll see you in the next episode.